good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other various movie snacks like those delicious personal pizzas that you can get delivered right to your seat. As always, mm. my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and with me as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how is your year going so far? Well, I mean, it's only a couple days in, so it hasn't. It's it's been going great. Fantastic. It's been going great. Yeah. I mean, it feels like the first three days we could say that it's either been absolute dog shit or it's been it's been pretty good. And I feel like thus far it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. I was informed today by our good movie buddy Jeremy Nakano of the the plight in Oregon with having to self pump gas. And number one, I'm sorry for all of you, all of our Oregon listeners, but number two, your social media reactions powered my heart for the better part of today. Mm. Literally one of the most joyous things I've ever seen. People having a total hard time with pumping their own gas. It's delightful. To me, that's the best part of 2018 so far. But that's kind of the point. 2018 is here. 2017 is dead. Bury it. But... At the same time, we want to celebrate it a little bit. We want to cover a lot of different things about 2017, especially when it comes to what I like to call the United States of Film in the year of 2017. And that's what this two-parter is going to be about. It's going to be recapping 2017, not just our favorite movies, but some of our least favorite things. Uh, analyzing some of the su- successes and failures of the year. And then, of course, you know, talking about our favorites of 2017 and uh, and what we're looking forward to in 2018. And so that's pretty much what, what we're going to be doing today. Uh, and I've, I kind of wanted to just get it right out of the way because I feel like we, we did this for a couple of movies this year and a couple of our podcasts, but I wanted to get the bad shit out of the way first. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to talk about some of the things that we did not like this year um, and you know maybe why we didn't like them or whatever. Now, it's important to say I, I genuinely feel like making bottom of lists or worsts of the year i i really think that that kind of sucks um and one of the reasons i did is because i was on uh i was on the internet today and you know how dangerous that can be it's very dangerous for you it really is but when you see negative reaction to a film that you like it's hard not to take it personal you know and it's hard not to jump in and defend the things that you like uh, case in point, been reading a lot of articles about the, mo- the movie Bright on Netflix, and I've been reading a lot of those articles that basically refer to the 11 or so million people that streamed Bright either as idiots or people who hate watched the film, like who'd watched it just to see how stupid it was. I watched that movie twice, David. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And so I feel a little bit, of, I mean, not to be a snowflake here, but I feel a little attacked. I feel a little... Uh, I feel like I'm taking a little bit of offense to that. So How does this I, make you feel? Makes me feel hurt deep down inside that that somebody. It's it's one thing to not like a movie, but it's another thing to call into question people who do like it. And I feel like that's not the popcorn diet way. So I wanted to preface our least favorite movies of the year by saying, like, it's purely opinion. If you like these movies, that's great. That's that's exciting. I, I love when people get excited and, and enjoy their movie experience, but these happen to, to be some of the few that we did not enjoy. Uh, and David, I'll let you start this one off for us uh, and talk about your bottom five, some of which are relatively recent uh, in true. terms of your viewing them. That's true. <laughs> but let's go through your bottom. And we only did five because we didn't want to glorify this or anything. So no. We only did our shortest list. Out of all these. So what is your bottom five? Go through them. Give us a little little something, something about your bottom five. Well, and I'll preface this as we go through all of this, that there's a lot of movies we haven't seen. Um, Great point. For those of you that haven't been listening the whole time or or maybe missed it when we first started doing this podcast is that Rick and I have now twice done years where we have a movie watching competition where we watch as many movies as possible. 2016 was one of those years. Yes. So I feel like both of us suffered from a little bit of like a 
a hangover. Fatigue, yeah, there's yeah, a little fatigue Movie fatigue. There. Um, so I feel like both of us were a little bit more selective than what we were last year. So last year we saw a lot of crappy movies. We saw a lot of crappy movies last year. But this year... I'm trying to think of what the crap... Oh, Brothers Grimsby. <laughs> that, well, that, that was, was your my, bottom. That was yep, my bottom. Yep. That was my rock bottom last year. Yeah, and for me, <laughs> oh, for no. me, it was for me, it was the lobster. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which this year you failed to see the killing of a sacred deer made by the same guy because you could make that choice. No, I didn't fail. I I intentionally avoided <laughs> that movie. Chose to not see. Chose to not. Uh, subject yourself. So to yeah. That. So when when I do my list, there's definitely worse movies out there, but sure. I probably just haven't seen them. Sure. Um, so for me, it was the house. Again, it was a lot of what you expected, but it, I don't know. It just wasn't that funny. I right. mean, for something like that, like I feel like I've seen a lot better Will Ferrell movies, mm-hmm. and I had a higher Amy I, Polar movies. Yeah, I had high expectations with the people that were in the movie, right. and I feel like I was let down a little mm-hmm. bit. And I think that plays a lot of times into people's quote-unquote bottom five movies, is sometimes when you have high expectations for something and it doesn't deliver, you look on it almost worse than... There's a level of disappointment, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I walked into... Another one on my list here is Geostorm. Geostorm didn't really disappoint me. No. Um I knew going into it probably wasn't going to be a great movie, right? And it wasn't really a great movie. Yeah. I mean, I I think that allowed me to actually enjoy it probably the most of any of the five that are on this list um, for me. But I still am not delusional and will say it's one of the <laughs> one of the bottom it's movies not of a the gr- year. It's, it's not a good film. Um, next up for me was War Machine. So it was War a Machine direct to Netflix. Netflix movie. Okay. Um, you know, I think looking at it, I had high expectations. Obviously, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. You know, you had satire. Some, yeah, satire. And, you know, I was hoping for maybe something similar to like Big Short, and it felt like it was trying to go that route okay. in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it got a little over that edge. Like, it was obviously very, I don't know, um, the, the, the person telling the story. The storyteller, or the narrator, it wasn't yeah. quite a narrator because it didn't talk the whole way through. He just kind of chimed in, um, kind of like Ryan Gosling did in Big Short okay. um, at times. But it was more frequent and you never really saw that person. So it was like just some voiceover from okay. that standpoint. But it, it just, I don't know. And and maybe it, it, I think it's always going to be tough with Netflix movies because you don't, you know, for me being someone that enjoys the theater experience, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be hard for one to ever like jump up into like that top movies of the year for me when I don't get to go and see it on the big screen. It is. It's a little weird. Count like case in point, bright. Right. Like yeah. It's like uh, that's a little bit of a weird experience. Like this is a big budget Hollywood blockbuster film that I can see the day of its release, just like everybody else. Uh, there's no pre-screenings or anything like that. Yeah. You're right. It is a little funky. It's going to take a little getting used to. I think. Yeah. Uh, Cars 3, again, I yep. think we, we did a whole podcast on Cars 3. I think I don't have as many issues with it as a movie itself like you do. Yes. Um, for me, I think it's just kind of for it just further pushed me towards I think I'm growing out of those types of movies a little bit. Okay. Where I mean, I, I neither can, of us saw Coco. Where I can still appreciate them like when they're really well-made movies like mm-hmm. Moana last year. That was a really well-made movie. And I en- I actually enjoyed Moana, so that's kind of a bad example. But like the good dinosaur from a few right. years back, like right. I recognized it was a good movie. But do I need to watch it ever again? Probably not. No. Um, and maybe that's changing now that I have kids. Yeah, so yeah. Now that, that once once the little ones get older, you're gonna start. You better start providing him with quality entertainment. I don't want to see like trolls in rotation, David. No. I'm t- Iron Giant. Rango, uh, oh, I've, Moana. I, I want to see real animated films in rotation. Oh, I've already said that. Like they're gonna like my kids are gonna go through like my childhood movies. Yeah, okay, that's like, right. Yes. So they're gonna start out with like 
the old school Disney movies yep. like Robin Hood take and through Pinocchio. The, take them through and the like hand-drawn animation yep. and the golden age. And then we'll move them into like Pixar and things like okay, that. Okay, I so, like that. I like you that. Know, you they're, get to form they're your child's movie it. mind. That's right. That's right. Perfect. Uh, and then last, this one's a really sad one for me. Yeah. Um, King Arthur. I watched it. The Legend of the Sword. Actually, yesterday on, and again, I didn't see it in theaters. Feel like I would have enjoyed it a lot more in theaters because it is another one of those massive budget films. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> it had all the components for you too. It, it had so many good people as a part of it. It had a story that I've always enjoyed in King Arthur. It's got you know one of my favorite actors to watch for for some reason or another um, in Charlie Hunnam, and it just and. I wouldn't say that it was hurt by anything like acting wise. Acting, I think everybody was good. Sure. They were fine. There were some funny people in it. Um, but man, that story was just so backwards, crazy, weird, convoluted. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, I And I that was one of my favorite. That was one of my most anticipated. And now, granted, by the time it actually came out, I think I was so scared to go see it in movies and in the theaters and be disappointed because this is a movie that was supposed to have come out like almost like eight months earlier. It was a 2017 movie, if I remember right. At worst, it It, was a January movie, but I think that was uh, King Arthur. King Arthur came out in like March or April. No, but it was originally, remember it got pushed back and they released it in May. Yeah. Yeah. They released it in May. I think it, I think originally it was supposed to be like a January or February release. Yeah of last year um and then it got pushed to march and then they for some reason pushed it to may when all the other blockbusters yeah and yeah i mean we're gonna get into box office more but it tanked in the box office and 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 i can see why that's unfortunate that does genuinely that i'm sad like, I am sad for you because I hate seeing you. It was exciting for you. Like, you were into it. And to hear that it let you down so much, I am i can't wait till you see The Dark Tower. Like, that, <laughs> even, was, that was another one, and even, you still haven't seen it. Even, even Eric Bana's uh, King Arthur yeah. did better. <laughs> Man. Oh, or not mean, Clive, uh, Clive Owen. Because Eric Banna's in the new yeah. one. Eric Banna's Eric in the Banna's, new that's one. why I was thinking of Eric Banna. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, speaking of the Dark Tower, I didn't watch King Arthur. Um, it's on HBO Go now, so I should. Uh, but uh, I did see the Dark Tower, and it is almost a same level of disappointment involved there. Although I uh, didn't have the expectations you did. Um, I, from the very beginning, was like, ah, this movie does not look good. It looks cheap, it looks claustrophobic, and it turned out to be cheap and claustrophobic. But that didn't wind up on my bottom five list. Oddly enough, even though, you know, I'm not a fan of it, but I think it has to do exactly with that expectation, with that disappointment. And uh, we share a couple of entries. Like I said, the ho- like you said, the house has way too... Too many people to be as not funny as it was. Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler, Jason Manzukis. Um, I mean, so many people involved with that movie that are really, really funny. And and it was Will Ferrell's lowest grossing movie, I think, ever. Um, and we did a whole podcast on it. But, yep, that's on my list. Cars 3, also on my list because it betrayed me. Um, <laughs> because uh, I was sold one movie. And I was delivered a completely different movie, and that hasn't happened recently. So I've kind of, I've kind of simmered on the hate article I was writing about how <laughs> movie studios need to uh, owe me a bill of goods if you're not going to give me the movie you advertised. <laughs> Regardless, it's on the list. Um, and then also Geostorm's on my list because that movie is is a garbage movie. That movie makes zero sense. It spits in the face of science. And yet you and I both enjoyed the hell out of it because yep. of expectation. But it's got to go at the bottom. It's oh, near yeah. the bottom of the list here. Uh, the other two that I have are purely based upon disappointment. I have Power Rangers on my list, which is not a terrible film. Like it is, it's The Power Rangers is a perfectly decent, middle-of-the-road, C-plus kind of movie. 
Um, but when you look at the trailers of like the new Pacific Rim that's coming out, and when you see some of the films that are coming out that have like a genuine joy to the things that this movie should have had, like superpower teenagers and karate and giant monsters, and you see how they did it in Power Rangers, you can't help but be disappointed. I mean, it lacks so many iconic things, and it just half-assed everything. Like, do we want to be a gritty, you know, reboot with angsty teens and a, and a genuinely terrifying Rita Repulsa? Or do we want to be the kind of movie that has literally the Go-Go Power Rangers theme song <laughs> in it? Or has jokes about Krispy Kremes? It, it was it tonally was really, really off, and that's one of the reasons that I don't think we're going to get a sequel. The, the foreign box office, which we'll talk about, uh, in a little bit wasn't that great um but yeah big disappointment there and then the other one i have on here is is battle of the sexes and we had my sister leah theodosis on here another good movie buddy to talk about the battle of the sexes but that film was i mean you got emma stone you got steve carell you got potential oscar uh ramifications and that film was just so uneven and that one character of the lady who um, Billie Jean King ends up ends up falling for, that one character comes off as so shitty that I felt like it ruined the whole movie for me. Again, it is not a bad film. It's got perfectly decent performances in it, but it was just so underwhelming and so disappointing and so maddening in certain aspects that I had to put it on the bottom five, you know? And, and, and again, you know, this isn't a place where we talk where we like to celebrate how how bad movies are. So we didn't want to spend a ton of time on this particular segment. But sometimes movies disappoint you. Yeah. And I and I don't know that I'll ever come and approach a movie um, w with the level of hatred. I mean, even Cars Three. Like I can I can say that what Cars Three did, it did perfectly fine. But I, despite my my feeling of betrayal there. Um, and so that kind of segues into a little bit of a box office analysis for some of the movies that came out this year that were supposed to be big, that maybe weren't as big uh, as they seemed. And I kind of wanted to go through these, David, one by one with you and ask you if you think this movie failed, if you would consider this movie a failure. And if so, do you think it deserved it? And I know you haven't seen all of these, um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you've you've educated yourself on all of them to, to yep. a, a certain degree. So we'll start with the one. I mean, we've already talked about it. It's a pretty softball one, but we'll start with The House. Uh, that was a film that came out. It had a $40 million budget. It made $25 million domestic. It made $34 million total worldwide, 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. So audiences and critics pretty much rejected the house in total which is weird in a, in a in a in a summer that i stress to say had no major comedy hits um that this one was actually that's not true it had at least one uh girls trip was probably the one comedy yeah. hit that made about 115 million dollars yeah, that was probably one of the surprises of the summer too it's very true so and i think i already know your answer but is the house a failure, and did it deserve to fail? Uh, I would say yes on both. I mean, anytime you have a, a comedy and you can't get back your budget, that's and, – and they did when you factor in worldwide. But, sure. I mean, that's – especially with the people that you had in there with not a lot of competition. I mean, you, you got to be pretty bad to, to not get there. Exactly. Especially when I mean they it wasn't like they were limited theaters or anything like that. I mean big release. Big release and they still didn't get it. So Yeah, I, I, I I'm gonna have to agree with you on that one for sure. Um next one we have on the list is is one actually one of our favorites of the year that's mm -hmm. definitely gonna be talked about when we talk about our tops of uh, of the year, but Wind River. Wind River uh, you know, relatively small budgeted, kind of neo western very dramatic. Um, it was made for an $11 million budget. It so far has grossed about $34 million domestic. And I would say uh, conservatively, maybe $10 million worldwide. So you're looking at around $44 million total. 
87 certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you consider that movie a failure? You know, I don't. It was a low budget. I mean, I think IMDb shows it as, a, or Box Office Mojo shows it as 11 million uh -huh. for the budget. So it even with a, a pretty small foreign, it's still tripled its, uh, more than tripled its budget. And I think while it didn't get the love that it should have, or at least it hasn't thus far on critical success and sort of the as awards. far as the awards sure. season uh, coming back up. I do think it suffers from last year with, or was it last year, Hell or High Water? Yeah. Um, it's almost, I mean, same Similar same director, type of same, genre, same yeah. director, same writer. all that. So I think, I think it does get hurt by that, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's easily one of the best films of the year, and, and you need to see it if you haven't seen it. And and it's probably not a movie that's designed to make $100 million. No, and I think that's evident by um, you know how much it was released. I mean, I don't think it ever got to a point where it was in 3,000 theaters. No, at most it's like 1,200 during the peak of its run or something exactly. like that. Exactly. So, I mean, you had to go and seek out and find it, and for it to make what it did, um, that's pretty good because there wasn't really a whole lot of advertising for no, it either. Not so, a lot, no. Uh, its opening was 2,800 theaters, so it had a decent amount of theaters, but... Um, 2,800. Yeah. That's a pretty good size. Yeah. But it's so. good, and it's that's certainly not a failure. I mean, budget has everything to do with it, I think. Which brings us to Logan Lucky. This one's a little bit more interesting because this is one, again, one of our favorite movies of the year. It's, we're going to talk about it at the end here. Steven Soderbergh decided to self-distribute. Uh, he didn't really go through the studio on this. There wasn't really your traditional advertising push or anything like that. I know that there wasn't a ton of online advertising for that and wound up making, you know, especially comparing it to other Steven Soderbergh movies with the cast that it has, it only made about $28 million domestic, about $47 million worldwide on a, on a relatively small $29 million budget. Pretty much acclaimed though, 92% Rotten Tomatoes certified yeah. fresh here. This one I feel is a little, a little bit less cut and dry than something like Wind River. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like this is a failure at all? Well, I think with Logan Lucky, I think a lot of people would view it as a failure because they see left potential from the standpoint exactly. of like um, you have all these big names who are hot in Adam Driver, Channing Tatum. These are guys that are blowing up right now from right. that standpoint. You've got a big, big time uh you know, a, a reputable director, but I think it, it kind of Academy award winning director. Yeah. I mean, but I think it speaks to, to who Soderbergh is and that he's more of an artsy type of like, I'm going to do this my way, do it the way I want. Um, you know, you can, you can quickly identify a Soderbergh film. Like yeah, it's not true. difficult to f identify it. So it's not surprising to me that he decided to di distribute it himself um, but I think given the names behind it, you would have expected it to at least get to like around 100 million. I mean, considering every Oceans movie did well over 100 million, not that this was Oceans, but. Sure. But I mean, it's a like I said, I mean, this cast isn't screwing around. Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, Daniel Craig, like these are big stars. These are worldwide stars. Yeah. And the fact that it, it, it really didn't. I mean, again. Um, you know, you brought up a good point uh, in that it was an experiment. It was a self-made experiment and, and all that, and that's fine. But, yeah, I can't help but think that there was a little bit left on the table. I think if you were to ask Soderbergh, and, you know, not that we've talked to Soderbergh before, but I'm sure right. in hindsight he might have done things different from a distribution and, and advertising standpoint. Sure. Uh, but that also pushes the budget up. And, and look, at the end of the day, it made almost double what its budget was. And, you know, there's worse things. <laughs> there's sure. bigger bombs than that. So. It's true. It's a very good point. Um, let's see. Uh, we can blow through some of these here. Like Alien Covenant. Did you ever see Alien Covenant? I don't know if you did or not. I didn't see Alien Covenant. You're, uh, you're not a big horror movie guy, so I won't hold it against you or anything like that. 
Um, but uh, Alien Covenant budgeted ninety-seven million. Domestic made seventy-four. Worldwide total two hundred and forty. Sixty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Certainly not hated. Um, but this leads me to sort of asking a different question. In that, are we done? And I'm not talking about you and I. I'm talking about people in general. I'm interested to see what your question is on this. Are we done considering just U.S. box office when talking about flops? Because $240 million for an R-rated alien movie isn't – that's nothing to you know cry about. Is it a failure? Certainly domestically it is. Uh, I, I think – I think you have to consider worldwide, at least when you're considering, do you make another one of these or yeah. was it a mistake? Um, Cause you know, and this is stealing from one that's further down the list on ours, but you take something like the mummy did 80 million, a Tom Cruise movie, Russell Crowe, you know, big names in this movie. Right. And it makes 80 million in the U S like yep. by all means, Probably the average American, I would guess, would call it a bust. Yeah, not but successful. It, but it made f- over four hundred million worldwide. Yep. I don't think anybody in the studio that released that is is upset. No. And I think that's why Tom Cruise continues to get put in very similar roles and things like that. Because look, it's like printing money for him in places like China. I mean, exactly. He's huge in. In, big in, in China, the, big in China. So, so three, three people come off, come off the top of my head are big in China. Tom Cruise, Vin Diesel, The Rock. Yeah, big in China. Those guys, and and I think you're right. I think when it comes to the U.S., maybe we're moving away from the movie star format. But when it comes to foreign, that stuff still works. I mean, you look at, you know, if not only foreign, but you also look at um, concepts as well. Uh, for example, Valerian. You know, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets came out. It made $40 million domestic. It took a big shit in the American box office. But worldwide, it made 225 Now, it probably didn't make its $177 million budget back after, after you know, distribution and after yeah. all of the everybody's got to get paid and whatever. That movie's still in the red. But it certainly requires you to think a little bit more about what is a success. Sure. And and I did see Valerian and, and I kept it out of my bottom five. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, it's definitely not without its issues. And I think some of the things that people didn't like about it are valid. But um, I think something like Valerian gets made because it knows it has its niche market. And a lot of times that niche market is weird. <laughs> like you look at like something like Warcraft, like Everybody knows Warcraft was big in the States with World of Warcraft. Right. But it was even bigger outside of the States. So it's like some of these movies, like we see them get dedicated, this big budget and some big names go attached to it. And then when it does poorly here, we think flop. But sometimes we aren't the people that they necessarily were targeting it at. It's true. So it's a good point. Plus, and I think, you know, without going on a huge tangent, you look at just the culture in the U.S., how much different it is right now than probably a lot of other countries and just the the landscape of film in the U.S. And it's right. easy to think like the U.S.'s landscape is the world landscape, which it does drive a lot, obviously. Sure. But, you know, the amount of indie films and things like that, like mm-hmm. that are getting made, like there's a reason they don't do much <laughs> On the other side, because a lot of other countries don't identify with a coming-of-age story. That, that, br- <laughs> that brings up a couple of smaller-budgeted films where, like, I can't even find the budget on them. And I'm talking about Free Fire, which was actually a really fun kind of throwback to the 70s. Had um, oh God, it had so many people in it. It had Army Hammer in it. It had Brie Larson in it, Killian Murphy, like... People who are known, I wouldn't call them superstars, but these are these are known people. And that movie made only $1.8 million. You know, that, that movie didn't make any money. I think one of the bigger surprises to me, actually, I, I'm going to kind of wrap up this segment with two big surprises. Number one, Suburbicon. Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac, Clooney directing from a Coen Brothers script that was actually mashed together with another script. And that movie 
makes $5.7 million American and so little foreign, maybe even almost as much foreign. How how does that happen? Do you think it has to do with, I mean, because don't get me wrong, some movies bomb in the critic reviews. But, sure. I mean, Suburbicon is 28% on on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's not even, the, I mean, The Mummy was 16%. Right. And Geostorm was 13%. Ge- oh, that's the other one I wanted to talk about. Geostorm made $208 million worldwide. And yet, and you can't say it wasn't, there wasn't the stars behind it, you know, in Suburbicon and that. And so, I mean, it got ripped really really hard and and i know it kind of came out right when like the weinstein stuff started coming out and that point and i know matt damon got kind of dragged into that a number well put himself in it in a lot of ways but um matt damon i don't know i don't know if that had to do with it but it was interesting because i mean it was on our radar of anticipated movies it was for us. well with everybody involved yeah you, you thinking you might get another burn after reading you yeah. think you, you're thinking you might get another one of those darkly comic coen brothers movies and it just turns out to take big wet dump in the box office uh let's talk about box office a little bit i want to talk about some of the successful movies of the year just just for a second here um because i think that there's some really interesting comparisons when you talk about top box office versus top reviewed films um, because I think some people, I think you're one of them sometimes. Uh, I think I'm one of them sometimes. I think that we tend to imagine that only the best reviewed films of the year are these indie darlings, like, especially when it comes to the Oscars, they're the only ones that get any love. It's all of these indie darlings. It's your ladybirds. It's your big six. Yeah. Your big six. It's your, your Florida projects and your call me by your names. And so we think that those movies like that, we think that there's a greater divide between critical acclaim and box office acclaim. But I want to do a little experiment here and I want to see if you're surprised by this at all. Um, Top 100 reviewed movies of 2017. Don't worry. We're not going to go through all of them, but you have get out. That's in the top 20 of the box office. Right, that's at number sixteen. You have Big Sick, that's one of the smaller ones. You have Dunkirk, that's in your top twenty. That's even in—is that still in your top ten? Uh, no, I got bumped out of the top ten. Almost two hundred million dollars for that. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, one of the biggest films of the year. Lady Bird, one of the smallest films of the year. Mm-hmm. Logan, big box office success there, two hundred twenty-six million. Baby Driver, hundred million. Coco, big biggest biggest Pixar movie. Thor Ragnarok, War for the Planet of the Apes, those all make up the top 10. And I think, and, and you know, uh, they sort by adjusted score. They kind of do a little bit of weird division and algorithm here based on the number of reviews versus the number of negative and positive and whatever. That's how Rotten Tomatoes orders this. But even if you go into the, into the bottom 10 of the next 20 of Call Me By Your Name, small film, Spider-Man, Star Wars... You have Hidden Figures, which made a lot of money. Um, you know, is there, and do you think that there is as big of a divide as some people might think, as even you and I might think, between critical acclaim and box office acclaim? Because it doesn't seem like it when you look at this list. Well, I don't think it's necessarily a divide from the box office and like a Rotten Tomato score. I think the frustrating part to you and I is um, the the Academy acclaim, the awards acclaim. Sure. Like you can, a movie can make, get 99% on Rotten Tomatoes sure. and not even be mentioned as a potential Oscar nominee. Like I don't understand how Logan, it can. Logan, 93%. Yeah. War for the Planet of the Apes, 93%. Yeah. How are those? Spider-Man like, Homecoming. Uh, I mean. 92%. How can you have that high and and in some cases more higher like Shape of Water ninety three percent going to be potentially best picture this year sure and guess what there's multiple f- films that are the <laughs> same or or higher than it that aren't even going to be talked about right and so to me it's like if it's critically acclaimed 
but yet something that's lower critically acclaimed right is is a nominee for a best picture and and shape of water fantastic movie from what you say i'm right. gonna see it but at the same time it, it's like why does it have to like this is where it gets into where's this criteria i mean go down to uh john wick yeah john wick chapter two was at 89 percent, i believe i think i lost it or it i mean look at it 85 percent. you look at um american made you know, I Tom Cruise, eighty-seven percent, perfectly enjoyable film. I Tanya's at ninety percent. It's getting love for, for things, but we've already named multiple ones that are not. Yep. So it, that's the I think more my deal with it is that, you know, how do we figure out what is this criteria that something gets award buzz and right. things like that? How can it get that but not? But How, do well in the box office and get good critical acclaim from people that review and accumulate exactly. on Rotten Tomatoes, and yet it's not good enough to be nominated Exactly. when there's 10 spots for Best Picture. If the people love it. Like, I get it with acting. Like, there's only five spots. Someone's going to get sure screwed out. Sure. And, and Even all the other categories. But and Keanu's not going to get nominated for Best Actor, no, despite the and, fact that he's probably one of the best physical performers that we have in film right now. Like, I put him on a Buster Keaton level of physical performance. That guy is such a physically gifted action actor. It's crazy good. But he'll never get nominated because he can't <laughs> show emotion or do an accent <laughs> or something like that. So you're right. I think it's if, – if audiences love it and it makes $400 million and critics love it, it gets 93% certified fresh Rotten Tomatoes. Everybody pretty much loves it. But the Academy doesn't nominate it. Where is the divide here? Where does Hollywood, because the Academy is made up of the insider Hollywood people. It's not critics. You, it's not audiences. It's actors, directors, cinematographers, composers. It's grips. It's crew guys. Like, where is that divide? Do you think one of the issues is, do you think half of the people in the Academy go see those popcorn movies? I don't know. I don't know uh, because th the argument. Like how many? How many? How many of those people do you think voting in the academy saw John Wick too? Well, they fucking all should be. If I was, <laughs> well, I mean that brings, and we can have this probably a bigger conversation for our Oscar episode. But that brings into account, you know, the academy's uh, uh, attempt at better diversifying their memberships. You know, they're getting younger, more diverse actors, and not actors, but members. Um, that's exciting because hopefully younger, more diverse people have their heads less up their asses. Now, it depends on if you if you believe in the millennial stereotype because maybe they have more up their asses. Um, but also, I mean, you bring up a good point, you know, is the studio that produced John Wick, are they marketing? Are they campaigning? Are they spending the money to try and get people to notice John Wick for an Academy Award? It's interesting stuff here. But getting away from the critics here a little bit, I wanted to kind of do a fun little box office thing here. And I wanted to, uh, and I don't know if you cheated on this or not, but I wanted to do a little bit of, of guessing. I want to do a little guessing game, a little trivia game with you here today. And I have some movies that I have compared to one another. And I want you to guess which was more successful at the box office. So we start with Rough Night, which was the R-rated uh, supposed to be the bridesmaids of this year with Scarlett Johansson, Kate McKinnon, Jillian Bell, uh -huh. like stars, superstars. Did Rough Night make more money or did Monster Trucks make more money? If you don't remember Monster Trucks, it is the movie where literal squid adorable monsters climb into trucks and propel was them. Was that this year? I feel that like was, was this year. year. That was January 13th, 2017. Oh, okay. Um. I'm gonna go monster trucks. Is it just because like that's like the, it seems like it should be rough night? <laughs> rough night made twenty two million dollars. Only twenty two million dollars. Mm. Monster trucks made thirty three. And even when you adjust for foreign, rough night made forty seven. Monster trucks made sixty four. That's a little crazy to well, me. Well, and I think that reinforces why we have the world that we do, where everything is sequels remakes sure follow-ups because rough night it tried to follow the script of 
bridesmaids, mm -hmm. uh, bad moms, things like that, and but goes original, kind of. Kind of. And bombs terribly. Bombs terribly. But Bad Moms 2, which may be a worse movie, I don't know, haven't seen them, uh, haven't seen Bad Moms 2 and Rough Night, but does better than, than Rough Night. So it's one of those things where... Like, as much as people may get tired of sequels, this is why sequels get made. Because sometimes making these original movies just right. ends up in terrible those are, failure. Those are two original concept movies that didn't pan out. Now, were they any good? I don't know. I actually kind of enjoyed Monster Trucks. I know you did. <laughs> um, but but I didn't see Rough Night. I, don't e I didn't even know if Rough Night came out on video yet. I don't know anything. That movie disappeared. It did. Practically. Uh, let's go to the next one. So we have The Circle, Tom Hanks, Emma Watson, big superstars, uh, uh, tech, big brother, conspiracy kind of movie versus the aforementioned Wind River. Which movie was more successful at the box office? I know they both didn't make much, but I'm going to go Wind River. Wind River did. Wind River... If you would have asked me which one would make more at the beginning of the year, it'd be the circle. It'd be the for circle. Sure. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have anticipated that the circle would only make twenty million dollars. Um, that's crazy. To Even me. Tom Hanks makes bombs. Even Tom Hanks. Tom Tommy Hanks just doesn't doesn't have it right now. There's only one actor right now that I would say you could put him in. You could have put him in the circle for Tom Hanks, and it would have done made more better. money. Yeah, The Rock. The Rock. God, The Rock would have been great in that movie. <laughs> Wind River made $33 million, so thus far Wind River is $13 million more. All right. All right. Here's, here's an interesting one, um, and, uh, and, and, and we'll see here. Uh, which do you think made more, the Lego Batman movie or Justice League? Hmm. Which do you think made more at the domestic box office? I feel like Justice League's opening – Probably carried it to the bigger, bigger box office. Lego, I feel like, was solid for a while, but I feel like Justice League's opening probably carried it. But I could be wrong. You're not wrong. It's actually the difference in their openings is pretty close to the difference in their box office. Justice League made $226 million, which needs to be said is a fucking huge disappointment yeah that is a travesty mm -hmm. it opened at 93 million dollars lego batman made 175 perfectly decent yeah for 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 an animated goofy batman film and it opened at 50 so you're looking at about a difference of around 40 45 million dollars so it literally was the difference in the opening just for the record i did not look that up and know that going into this and so that was actually i'm, I'm, I'm fairly impressed by that here <laughs> couple more that aren't specifically movie-related, but I have Pixar films versus The Field. And The Field is other animated films. All right? So did the Pixar films that came out this year, there were two. Coco. Coco and, and um, Cars 3. That's right. Did they be and – I, and, and I, I'm going to preface this. I'm not saying, like, all animated films. I looked at, yeah. like, you know, just the big studio release animated films. So I'm thinking, like, you know – your boss babies and shit like that. Who did better, Pixar or boss, the Field? Boss Baby did do tremendously better than I expected, um, and the fact that it's going to be award nominated uh -huh. is mind-boggling to me. But I gotta go Pixar. So, and and I didn't and I didn't do the math on this, but it is. Despicable Me 3 uh, yeah. with $264 million. And I forgot we were in a Despicable Me We year. were in a Despicable – we are in a Despicable a Despicable Me 3 year plus the Boss Baby, which was another big one. And I want to see really quickly if there was any more – if there was any more in here. Plan Split, Wonder Trip. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, oh, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and you can veto this if you want, but I'm also gonna throw in the emoji movie on that one. Yeah, I guess if you'd like. All right. Ferdinand was out there. It's, versus hasn't been in there very long. Versus Coco and Cars Three. That's what we're looking at here. I should have run these numbers. This is bad podcasting. <laughs> yeah, and Django too, and Smurfs. Smurfs. Well, Smurfs was a, a big actual big flop smurfs actually nut made job. 
Captain yeah. Underpants came out. This Captain year Underpants too. came out. Yeah. So there actually were a lot of movies coming out. So yeah, I Pix- made a bad decision. Pixar made pick. made three hundred and thirty seven million dollars. And the field did 525. Interesting enough, I think if you add Despicable Me and Boss Baby, it's pretty close to the two Pixar movies. It's it it's more. Is it's it more? more? It is more by about. And Coco's mm, still by about a hundred million, give or take, close to eighty. Coco's still going, but it's Coco's not going to do enough to pass that. Exactly, exactly. Crazy. So, so I'm always curious about you know where that's going to fall. Uh, in terms of Pixar's success, uh, are, are we are we on a downward trend or not? It'll be interesting to see. Um, and then the last one I have is is Disney versus everyone else. And this isn't going to be one because obviously everyone else is going to beat Disney just by the by the numbers alone. So I'm going to do an over under here. All right, Disney versus the number two. Did they make over or under? Mm, let's say. $500 million more than their number two. I think it's under this year. I mean, Warner Brothers, I know, because I remember looking at this before, pre-Star Wars, yep. and Warner Brothers was actually in front of Star Wars. Now, I don't know what the, if we're doing worldwide or domestic, but I think domestically it should be under 500, but Star Wars has also made a really lot, a, lot, a ton of money. That's true. And already moved into number one for the year, so... Could be wrong on that. I believe we're looking at domestic numbers here, and you're right. It is under. Uh, Buena Vista Disney made $2.4 billion. Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers made two. Yeah. So it's by about 0. 0.4. And then the next closest is Universal at 1.5. Which is Fast and the Furious. Fast and Furious. And what's their other big one? Fast Despicable Me 3, oh, oddly no, enough. A... Get Out was big for them. Split was them. They had a good horror year. They did have a good year, um, Warner Brothers, you're right, though. I mean, they had Wonder Woman. They had It. They had Justice League. They also released literally almost triple the movies that Disney did. Yeah, they they had a ton of movies this year. So really interesting uh, box office stuff here. We want to wrap this up, this particular uh, part one, going over our best moments of 2017. Because as good as some of these movies have been that we've talked about and as good as a lot of the movies that we've seen this year have been – you know, we can't list them all in our top seven or top tens or whatever. And so I wanted to go through and we kind of want to round robin this if you want, David. Kind of go through back and forth with some of our favorite scenes. And if we have favorite scenes, we can kind of group them together here. But I'll let you start with your uh, – I'll let you pick. And these aren't listed in any order. But I know that I picked like ten. Um, I, went a little, I went a little less than that. And one doesn't really count as a moment. But we'll get to that one. <laughs> Uh, first one, one is a performance for, for, <laughs> for us. Uh, we both had this one. I did. Uh, we said the no man's land scene in, in wonder woman. Yes. Obviously an iconic scene, not only of the movie, but I think of the year because I think wonder woman was a huge surprise. Um, not that we had some comic book movie do well. That's right. obviously what we've been getting for the last 10 years, but I think it was the fact that Warner Brothers, which everybody had been crapping on for multiple years Screaming now. Screaming up Justice League. Out of nowhere, Wonder Woman comes and basically revitalizes the franchise. Now, yep. Justice League did a lot to undo that. Undo that. Sadly. But that, to me, was the most iconic scene of one of the more iconic movies this year. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's iconic for a number of additional reasons. I mean, just 2017 in general being... Uh, a very important uh, year for you know uh, for women in general. I think number one, it's a it's a movie starring a woman, directed by a woman, and it's this scene where she's standing in this field of men, taking bullets, and she's standing firm. She's this symbol of hope, holding up that shield. Like that is some general, genuine, like you said, iconic imagery. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it. It's iconic, not only from a filmmaking perspective, but from a political perspective. From Little girls can watch that now and be like, that's badass. I can yeah. be a badass now. And that's super cool, and, and I dig that. 
Um, we also had another one on our list. I'm kind of going through the ones that we have shared, and then we can get to the, some of the specific ones. But Star Wars Last Jedi went, and oh, shit, we should mention, going to be some spoilers from this, true. from this point on. Talking about specifics and Listen, movies. it's 2018. If you haven't seen these movies, that's your fault. If you haven't seen Star Wars yet, like my parents haven't seen Star Wars yet, and I am having issues. In their defense, they were on a cruise it's for true. two it's weeks. Very good point. They were on a cruise when it came out. But there is gonna be some spoilers in here with some of our favorite movie moments. So if you wanna skip ahead, if you wanna if you wanna shut this off and get into part two, part two's gonna be a bunch of spoilers too, anyways. Just don't listen to the review of 2017 if you haven't. Yeah, watched don't many maybe don't do movies. a year in recap. <laughs> Um, anyway, so this is going to be spoilers here, but that moment when Ky in the throne room of Star Wars The Last Jedi, Kylo takes out Supreme Leader Snoke and Rey and Kylo team up to fight the guards is probably one of the best fights in Star Wars, just in terms of choreography, in terms of intensity, and visually speaking, just astounding. The way that that red curtain burns away. And the way that they chopped these sun red guards up. I watched that scene again. They chopped them up. One literally gets chopped up. Yep. Great scene. Awesome scene. And I think I think it is, I mean, one could argue, even though it's been very controversial, it I mean, one could argue that it's the best lightsaber fight in Star Wars. Sure. Ups, the the purists or the angry nerds who if, doxed Rotten Tomatoes might say that it's not really a lightsaber fight because they don't actually fight with lightsabers against one another. Shut the fuck up. It's a great <laughs> lightsaber fight. Uh, Jesus. Next, next one we both had uh, on ours was Wind River, the shootout yes. uh, towards the end of the movie. Um, you have this whole buildup of this this movie that's kind of a mystery. You know, they're trying to figure out what happened. Yeah, it's a murder um, mystery. Yeah, it's a murder mystery. And you get to this point where you think, okay, they're about to figure everything out. Right. And it it does a cool thing, too, of kind of – it doesn't overdo the flashbacks, but you get some uh, – some strangely timed flashbacks, which I don't mean strangely in a bad way. Sure. Like just unexpected probably right. more is the better term. Um, so and good. then all hell it's just so break, breaks loose. And like you've just kind of been moving along this murder mystery, like kind of at a steady pace, like picking up little things here and there. And then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and like, Five ten minutes later, you're like, "What the? Heck? What like, did you just like Ten people are dead. It's like that escalated quickly. Oh my god! It's that whole movie is a powder keg. It's a it's a fuse. And when it cuts to that flashback, like when she knocks on the door, yeah. And then it cuts to the flashback, and everything is revealed. Yeah. And then you realize, like, oh fuck, they are in serious trouble, yeah. and it pops off. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. One of the reasons I love it is because. It could be in an old time western too. Oh, absolutely! Like it, it, it. I love that movie because it could be played as like a, an old western in the eighteen hundreds. It's one of the most explosive action sequences of the year in a film that doesn't have a lot of action. No. Um, is that the last one that we have evened up here? I think that it is. Uh huh. Um, so I'll just we'll, we'll again we'll round we'll round robin this here. Um, Split. Uh, I think that the final twist in Split actually showing you that this was sort of a backdoor sequel to Unbreakable is genius. Number one, Split is great. Shyamalan is back, baby. Oh, yeah. Big time. But the fact that this turned out to be a, a quasi-sequel to a movie that everybody has been wishing he made a sequel to, and then that leads to a third film, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Absolutely loved it. Um and then I'll just, since I have more than you, I'll just double up. Uh, I also want to talk about the Hitman montage, all the different ways John Wick starts killing people when the Hitmen are coming after him. The pencil fight in the bar is brutal. It's fantastic. I love it. Like I said, I think Keanu Reeves is one of the most gifted physical performers of our time, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Yeah, I think he's probably the best, in my opinion, since Jackie Chan. So it's a great point. Great, maybe not with the level of choreography in terms sure, of, but, of stunts, but sure, gun handling and and the guy is coiled all the time when he's John Wick. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, such no. a good franchise for him. Obviously, little apples and oranges, but oh yeah. Um, <laughs> next one for me is going to be. I'll do. I'll do the uh, 
the arrow scene and with the the song closer come a little bit closer okay and uh i love that scene those are the types of things i love in guardians movies is how they use music in their in their scenes and i think you know visually seeing the arrow with the whole thing yep. with the tail behind it and all of that just a lot of fun and it's what to me i love the most about guardians which is why it's still one of my favorite movies from this year but i missed having more of that and less of ego planet for sure for sure <laughs> it's certainly one of the most like uh, joyful mass murder mass scenes murders. of the year. Yeah, like, it's a very happy mass murder. There's a lot of people dying in <laughs> yeah. that sequence. Um, I'm going to double up here with a couple of a uh, couple of final shots um, in the film, a couple of closing sequences. So this is obviously a huge spoiler. Um, but for as meh and, and subpar as The Mummy was, the last sequence where fucking Mummy Tom Cruise is all wrapped up, his face is hidden, his hands sort of got the bandages on it and shit. And he's talking to his buddy and Russell Crowe's telling the doctor like he's he's a man with evil in him and whether or not and the music is swelling and they're talking about like come on don't you like an adventure and then they start riding through the desert and this the the sandstorm is following them like that got me pumped for more movies. The movie preceding that probably like wasn't that great. But that sequence was like the adventure, like the desert sand adventure mummy that that I missed from the Brendan Fraser mummy sure. films, oddly enough. And I really, really dug that. It's one of my favorite pieces of, of film music of the year by Brian Tyler as well, that final sequence. Um, but that pales in comparison to the final sequence of Dunkirk when they are – the boats are coming and Kenneth Branagh is standing there and you hear – the dive bomb sound of the plane coming in and the entire movie you're led to believe like that sound is bad. Mm -hmm. Like it's the duh, duh, in Jaws basically. Like when that sound's coming, bad shit's going to happen. And Kenneth Branagh like he's resigned. He's like, we're not going to make it. And then Tom Hardy in his plane that's out of gas and is gliding shoot it explodes the the his uh, the, the 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 enemy plane explodes and then tom hardy's plane silently just glides through and yeah. everybody starts cheering ken brana rolls a tear i fucking roll the tear it's <laughs> so powerful that end sequence is so powerful i absolutely loved it and, and that one actually was on my list just i didn't put it because i got tired of writing down ones that you had already so <laughs> there is, i mean we saw a lot of the it's, same movies this it's, year. it's hard to beat that one so yeah. Um, next for me, again, this one's cheating because I was trying to pick my favorite scene from it, but was just Adam Driver in, in Logan Lucky. Just in general. Every, there were so many scenes that I liked with him from the bar scene when he's making the, uh, <laughs> making the drinks Makes for, the, the uh, Seth drink. MacFarlane and that. And then when he runs out there and, um, the probably the best scene that I can think of that sticks out was the breakfast scene right after that when he's like you made you burnt the bacon the way I like it and you said he's, cauliflower and he's just so like deadpan like yeah. with that accent like talking about how like he spent time in jail because uh the trouble that Channing Tatum's the last character time you said cauliflower, cauliflower. I spent whatever yeah. amount He's fantastic in that yeah. movie. So, yeah, so and I couldn't pick it. That's one of my favorite movies. So I had to have something for it, and and that to me, I you know, there's not many scenes. I mean, probably the scene that people remember would be like the Take Me Home Country Road. Sure. At the great scene, beauty pageant, and that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for me, it's it's uh, it was just Adam Driver. It's a good one. We got a couple more before we wrap up part one here. Um, in the movie, it, a, a movie that's filled with a lot of really great scenes and sequences. Yep. Um, my favorite part is at the very end, where <laughs> it's the the, the creatures. The first very end. The the first yeah the first very end um, <laughs> is when the creatures just like you know you leave and I'll keep him and and whatever, and Bill the kid is just like leave me leave me leave me and his friend Richie starts going in this monologue. But he's like, you're right, Bill. Like, this sucks. This is all your fault. And he starts rattling off, like, you made me do all this shit I don't want to do. I got to walk through this crap water. I'm, I'm, You know, this guy's bleeding over here. And then he slowly pulls out the bat. And he's like, and now I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. <laughs> one of, like, I wanted to clap. Like, it, was, still, it was pretty awesome. One of the best delivered badass, like, lines of the year. Fantastic. Fantastic line by that. 
Uh, for me, my next one was Hulk uh, in Thor Ragnarok when they go to his room. Yeah. When when uh, Thor goes to his room, um, part of it was in the trailer. Um, for those of you that haven't <laughs> seen it, when he's talking about Hulk fire, Hulk fire. small but Thor's <laughs> rage, Hulk raging fires. Yeah. Hulk all raging. all the things in there because to date we had never really heard, never had heard Hulk talk. Right. In any of in his own movie or even in previous Avengers movies, he just right. doesn't talk when he's Hulk. Um, so to suddenly get talking Hulk and like <laughs> almost like, you know, high school, like adolescent, like five-year-old, Hulk. five-year-old Hulk. Dude, like when he just throws something and he yells and he's don't throw things. <laughs> that whole interaction to me was just why I, part of why I loved Thor so much compared to the first two, like, Thor Ragnarok to me is a number of notches above the first two Thors. Oh yeah, um, and oh, I yeah. think it's because they finally embraced and credit to them for finding the director that they did. Um, they kind of embraced like the comedic side of it. Yeah, and yeah, Taika Waititi take, crushed yeah, it. And I almost put uh, his character on there, which I'm blanking on his Korg. name. Korg. Korg's when, fantastic too. When he does the uh, the 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 rock paper scissor joke. <laughs> I won't hurt you unless you scissors. That's a yeah. rock paper scissors joke for you. It's fantastic. Yeah. The movie's so good. Uh, my last one, I believe it's my last one, um, and it might genuinely be one of my like it might be the top of the list, but the homecoming twist in Spider-Man: Homecoming, because that movie does an excellent job at at, at comparing and, and contrasting superhero movies with high school movies. And one of the most terrifying things as a nerdy kid in high school is meeting your your date's dad. And when he finds out that her date's dad is the villain he's been fighting, it cranks the tension of that sequence up to a thousand. And once he realizes, once Michael Keaton realizes who Peter Parker is, and they have that moment in the car, number one, it's a very human moment for the villain, you know, because I'm willing to reason with you. Like, I'm doing this for my family. Um, I identify with the villain more than you do in that movie, I know. <laughs> but but it's just this quiet moment that is just so terrifying. Um, and it's so good. It is such a good twist. And that tracks if you go back and look at it like they don't really cheat you on it or anything like that like it's it's pretty well hidden yeah and that's one of if not my favorite movie moment of the year yeah no that was a great scene too uh my last one is in a movie you haven't seen yet yet um so i won't spoil it too much for you um but it's the it's the scene it's pretty early in the movie of molly's game um for those of you that don't know molly's game based around Basically, uh, Molly, uh, no Molly, shit. Molly Bloom, <laughs> who used to run uh, basically celebrity poker games. Right. Um, she got in the limelight. The the FBI like arrested her. They thought she was in dealing with a bunch of uh, mob people mob, and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, it's pretty. I'd say it's almost in the middle of the film. Um, and obviously, Aaron Sorkin does the movie, both directs and wrote. Yes. It. And Everybody knows Sorkin's known for his his writing, for right. the dialogue, every movie that you see of Sorkin. And and this one, even though it's firmly based around poker, it's not he doesn't really dive too much into like poker. Sure. Uh, it's more focused around the characters and, and obviously the evolution of Molly herself. Um but there's one scene where it dives full into poker, and I love poker. Uh, but it goes really deep into basically one hand explains the hand and what happens and this guy basically catches a bad break like you do when you gamble sure. sometimes you, the cards don't fall your way nope. and you watch like over the next like 10 15 minutes just like the self destruction of this poker player and just going on tilt and blowing through like half a million dollars oh, in one night and it's so well done, like from like the description of the hand and what they're thinking and all those types of things. And I think obviously if you've played poker, it makes that scene even better. Sure. Um, but it's it's really cool how he injects that. And it, it has to do it. 
it calls back to basically the theme of the movie and Molly's arc as a character as well. Um, when you get done with the movie, you kind of realize that that whole scene kind of plays out a lot of what her whole story is. Her whole story, like um, she, she kind of goes full tilt over her life. Yeah, she does okay. everything. She follows the script right, like does what you should, like made sure she made it legal, didn't do anything illegal, then catches a bad break. And, and then starts starts splashing. doing things that she had never done before because she was smart enough to not do it. Interesting. And takes risks that she never took before, just like people when they're on tilt. Sure. Gamble money. They get desperate. They get desperate. And so it's really cool to see how those two kind of compare with each other. I can't wait to see that uh, movie. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. I'm a huge Sorkin fan, so I'm always going to be a little biased. But one of my favorite movies of the year. Nice. I like it. Well, that that leads us to part two. Uh, this this We will wrap up part one here, but part two will be coming next week. So look for it wherever you listen to podcasts. Look for part two where we talk about our favorite movies of the year and we talk about what we're excited for for 2018. But as always, do us a favor wherever you're listening to us. Do us a big favor. Like, rate, subscribe, share us. Tell us. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Build the Good Movie Buddy Club. Also, if you want to get in on the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And as always, you can find our reviews. You can find our lists of our top movies of the year on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am Rick Williamson. We, we will see you next week with our top films of 2017. Adios.